anticipation is a difficult emotion to, to deal with. I know in my own life, I find it very difficult to delay gratification, right? To sit in that place of almost, but not yet. The liturgical calendar encourages us in the way they stretch things out, like the season of Lent, and even from this Holy Week, from Easter weekend, to slow down. Encourages us to experience the full range of emotions, We wait almost 48 hours from Good Friday, the time when we recall the sobering reality of Christ's death. There are a number from our congregation who participated in the community's Via Dolorosa, sorrowful way where we walked carrying the cross through town, reflecting on Christ's suffering. We sit in that. But then what follows is the joy of Easter Sunday when we acknowledge his resurrection. And as I was thinking this year, as I was reflecting on that, I could only imagine the stupor the first followers of Jesus experienced, following this gut-wrenching reality that Jesus had died on a cross. His lifeless body was removed from that rough wooden symbol of torture. There was no fanfare. There was no miracle There was just death. Echoing the words of the crowds who watched, this man saved so many, why couldn't he save himself? I imagine the haste in which his followers wrapped his body, put it in a grave, trying to be as honorable to their teacher as they could as they raced against the clock, raced against darkness in preparation for the Sabbath. As they sat there, there was no knowledge of what was coming. With no end in sight, they began to wallow in their grief, perplexed that it had come to an end like this. The darkness thought it had won. The governmental power of the Roman Empire thought that they had seen the last of this radical upriser, this menace to their society. I can imagine the enemy of God relishing in Christ's death. In the same way that you see the white witch mocking Aslan in Lewis's anthology, The Chronicles of Narnia. Friday brought with it grief, but Sunday was coming. One of the authors that I've had the privilege of hearing that I really enjoy is Bob Goff, and I like the way that he puts it. He said, darkness fell. His friends scattered. Hope seemed lost but heaven just started counting to three. This morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, right? This single event has dramatically altered the trajectory of human history. Approximately one-third of this planet, roughly 2.38 billion people, are celebrating this season, celebrating the triumph of Jesus Christ over the very forces of death itself. And this morning, I want us to to celebrate this victory with joy. And I want to examine a few basic tenets of the resurrection. First, I want to look into some of the internal and external evidence for the historicity of the resurrection. I want us to confidently know that this is not just some myth that we blindly follow, but that this is an event 
rooted in human history. Second, I want to explore how the resurrection breaks the power of sin in our lives. That there is power in the name and in the resurrection of Jesus. And finally, I want to survey how the resurrection breaks the shackles of death and gives us hope. So if you want to pull out Bibles and follow along, I would encourage you to do so, or your Bible apps. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to read through it, verses 1 through 15. And as Matthew recounts the details of that inspiring and awesome day, I'll be reading out of the ESV, which is what's in the pews, but feel free to follow along in whatever translation you prefer. So Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Matthew continues in verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The story of the resurrection begins with a handful of women. These women were individuals who were largely overlooked by society, but not Jesus. They lived in a world of disrespect where their testimony was not even admissible or acknowledged in a court of law. But Jesus entrusted to them, before anyone else, his message of hope. They may not have been counted among the twelve, but it wasn't the twelve who showed up to the tomb early Sunday morning to care for his body. Matthew gives voice to the perspective of these women. The first evangelists, the first heralds of good news. And within the scriptures, we see the reports of the women, the reports of hundreds of others who saw in the flesh, the resurrected Jesus Christ, right? Their testimony is not something like King Arthur, a legend from centuries ago that could not be confirmed. No, these figures that are described in the 
scriptures are Joe the butcher in town or Sally the candlestick maker from down the street. People that those first readers could have gone to, to talk to, to hear their eyewitness testimony of their events. I mean, you have the scientist, good old doubting Thomas, who refused to believe in the resurrection without empirical evidence. He should probably be the patron saint of modernity. He needed to touch the holes in Jesus' wrists and the, from the nails on the cross. But I love that what we see is that Jesus didn't scorn Thomas for his doubt, but offered himself to bring clarity to Thomas's vision. To the point that Thomas, as the truth smacks, smacked him across the face, acknowledges my Lord and my God. But I chose Matthew's rendition of the resurrection because of what we see in verses 11 through 15. The guards report report to the chief priests what had happened, and a cover-up is born. The priests bribe the guards to pass on the story that the disciples stole the body. These uneducated, untrained fishermen somehow manhandled, I guess it was while they were asleep, was the, you know, these Roman warriors were asleep at the job. And I find it incredible that Matthew included this in his story because internally, in the sacred scriptures, he is willing to acknowledge a contradictory narrative. One, of course, that Matthew doesn't buy into, he doesn't believe, he doesn't agree with, but I think this showcases the confidence of Matthew, and I think it is staggering that he doesn't shy away from what others are saying around town. This resurrection of Jesus is attested in all four of the Gospels that we find in the Bible. But I think something else, other than internally, something that should give us confidence, is externally what we saw, the explosive commitment and growth of the early church. Right? The followers of Jesus soon became public enemy number one to the Roman Empire because they refused to worship the emperor, Caesar, while they are being burned alive as garden lights and fed to the lions in the Colosseum, they continued to maintain their confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Josh McDowell rightly asked the question, who would go this far and be willing to die, to be tortured for this lie? Chuck Colson, a hatchet man for Richard Nixon, puts a modern-day spin on the question. He's the one that took the fall for Nixon on on Watergate, spent some time in prison. He says this, he says, I quote, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. He says, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. This bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the core of Christianity, and it has been a part of all of the ancient creeds and confessions since the inception of the church. I want to encourage us that we can be confident of its veracity. We can be confident of its truthfulness, its historicity, as we look into the power that it has for our lives. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ breaks the power of sin. Now, when I was working with college students, uh, sometimes I would try to give, you know, I'd like to, I wouldn't say play devil's advocate, but would like to give these intellectual exercises. And one of the ones that I would encourage them to do is to try to separate the crucifixion and the resurrection, right? Because oftentimes we talk about his crucifixion as he suffered as atonement, right? That, that his death on the cross was what solidified our justification, solidified our forgiveness, right? Provide that forgiveness from God. And so if that was the case, then was, the hypothetical is, was the resurrection necessary? Could Jesus have just died on the cross to earn us forgiveness and left it at that? Now, the answer, of course, to that question is yes, but I'm I was encouraging students to try to understand how these two events fit together. Because through Jesus' death, we receive forgiveness for our sins, but it was through his resurrection that we see that Jesus was indeed who he said he was and was able to do what he said he was going to do. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Right? He was delivered, he was crucified because of our trespasses, because of our sins, but his resurrection showcases our justification. Right? Justification that we have been declared not guilty by God. Now, the language of Paul, if you read, because Paul writes about this a lot, especially in the book of Romans. And if you read the language of Paul, the, the, what he, how he typically communicates it is in a very legal uh, kind of context, right? You can almost envision a courtroom where there's a just judge reading a verdict, guilty or not guilty, right? Because someone needed to suffer and Jesus suffered, he took on the guilt for us so that we could be declared not guilty, right? Because we are free then from the punishment of our sin. But the effects of Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection go beyond just that. Right? This is where if, like the, if Christianity were an infomercial, this is where you hear, but wait, there's more. Right? The Bible says that just as Christ, was, Christ died and was raised to new life, so too we have died to the power of sin and been raised to new life in the Spirit. Right? The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead gives us the evidence that God is working to cultivate new life in us as well. This is what scholars call regeneration, or you could think about it as the process of sanctification, that our very natures are being transformed. Listen to the way that Ezekiel poetically describes this transformation. This is Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. God speaking through the prophet. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey your rules. Many times we can identify with Paul when he said in the book of Romans, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I have such a hard time doing it, right? I, I don't do the things that I ought to do, and I do the things that I shouldn't do. Paraphrasing a little bit. I feel like it's a little more confusing if you read it. I think we all can recognize that. 
that there are times where we acknowledge that we're not doing what God wants us to do. And that's a struggle. But this process of being raised to new life, God has promised to change our hearts so that we do what we ought and don't do what we shouldn't. God has promised not just to forgive us, but to transform our very lives so that we become a people who delight in following his ways. Let me try to illustrate this a little further for us. This means that there is nothing that you have done that is beyond the power of God to bring forgiveness and healing into your life. Let me say that again. There is no sin There is no wrongdoing that you have ever committed that God is not able to wash away. I don't want to hear, because I've heard this all the time, but you don't know what I've done. I don't. But you know who does? God. There's nothing hidden from him. He knows, and he continues to state and affirm that it is in his power to heal and forgive. Isaiah chapter 118 says it this way, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall become as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I mean, let's just say that you were visiting a family member. You know, you're, you're relaxing with them, you know, with a glass of wine or a glass of grape juice. And you're, you know, telling a story and you get very animated, you know, flinging your arms around and you just knock that drink over into the the cup or you knock the cup over onto their pristine white carpet. I mean, who has white carpets these days? But just in case you have, we we have some off-white carpets and stains get in them, don't they? And you feel horrible, right? You've just ruined your family member's carpet. You know that grape-based products are some of the worst stains to get out just a step above blood, but I didn't want to give an example of blood. Right? Justification would be like your host absolving you from any responsibility. Right? They're not upset with you. They say, just don't worry about it over and over again. Right? Forget about it. It's okay. Right? That's justification. You're, I'm not holding you personally liable or responsible for this. But you know what? There's still a stain in the carpet. Regeneration takes it to the next step. It's like them getting some OxyClean. We're just talking infomercials all over the place, right? Some OxyClean. And they're able to actually get that stain out. They're able to restore that which was damaged. Jesus has not only forgiven us of our sins, but through his resurrection, he has assured us that we too have been raised to new spiritual life, right? A life where God is taking the sin and brokenness that is a part of us and is working a restoration in us, restoring that which is damaged. Slowly but surely, healing our hearts so that we delight in the things that he delights in. We walk in paths of righteousness. We walk in ways we live rightly. Galatians 5.1, Paul tells us that what happened in that first Easter weekend was a work of freedom. He says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We have been liberated from the very power of sin over our lives. But sin isn't the only enemy that Jesus upended with his resurrection. 
When Jesus rose from the dead, he showcased that he had broken the very shackles of death itself. The very first Christians saw their faith as an outworking of God unseating the very powers of death. And this is why they were able to live with such abandon. They were able to care for the sick in their towns at the cost of their lives. Before there was COVID, before there was the Black Plague, as, as illnesses, mysterious illnesses swept the Roman Empire, it was the Christians who didn't count their lives too precious to not go and help those in need. The Christians were the ones who were able to remain steadfast in spite of torture and abuse by the Roman Empire. They were the ones who were able to give all that they had to care for the poor because they knew the reality that these fleeting years that they walked the earth weren't the end of the story. They knew that even if they died, that they would walk again on this very world, on this very earth in the coming kingdom of God. Jesus gave glimpses of this, of this truth to his disciples in the gospel of Matthew. In chapter 10, he, he's encouraging them. He's saying, don't be fearful, don't be anxiety-ridden people. And he says to them, he says, don't be fearful of those who can kill the body, but not the soul. The one that you need to be focusing your attention on is the one who has the power over both the body and soul. And I know that kind of puts it in a little bit of a negative spin, but that it reveals the positive that even in death, we are never lost from God. Probably one of the most glorious, theologically rich testaments to our future resurrection is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I wasn't even going to start to read it because it is a long one. But it is a beautiful picture of, of this connection between our resurrection being evidenced by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And Paul unabashedly says in that section that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we ought to be pitied above all of humanity for our wasted pursuit of him. It's like a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 15, 17 to 19. Again, if the disciples knew this, who would die for a lie? But Christ has been raised from the dead. We have the assurance that I commented on earlier this morning. We, like Paul, later in that passage, as we sang about this morning, can mock death when it comes to face us. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Right? Death, you ain't got nothing on the life that God has promised me. So Jesus not only breaks the power of sin in our lives, but he breaks the very shackles of death as well. Now, everything that I've said this morning is at the core of Christianity. They are core theological truths, essentials to the faith. But you know what? There is a difference between knowing doctrine and living it out. Right? John wrote in his gospel, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Right? We can come together and we can intellectually agree about the first Easter the events of that first Easter. 
But because of that, we have been raised by the Son. And as John has said, if the Son has set you free, you shall be free indeed. I want to encourage us not just to think rightly about it, but to live rightly in that. That we would walk in freedom. That we would be resurrected people. That these truths would not just be truths like a book that you put on a shelf, but that they would permeate our lives. Something that we lean into daily. So I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to kind of finish. I'll say a few things afterwards. But I have a video that I want to share with you. And I I know that there's going to be some words on it. I I apologize if it's difficult to read. Um, But the song is called Walking Free by Micah Tyler. They play it on K-Love. I'm kind of in one of my K-Love. I I go fall in and out of favor with K-Love. But I'm in one of those sessions right now. And they play it occasionally there. And so last week I had it in my head. You know, I just kind of find it in my head. You'll probably have it in your head all day. Uh, after listening to it. And I apologize for those of you home. This might get us kicked off of Facebook. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, But you won't miss much afterwards. I'll just post the the discussion question afterwards uh, tomorrow. But as I was, you know, I had this this song in my head, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to pull it up on YouTube, on my phone, so I can listen to it again. And man, when when I saw the video, I was like, this is just a, this is a blessing to me to see. And I thought it aligned with this idea that we're talking about this morning of Christ breaking the power of sin and death in our lives. And so I want to play it for you all. So I hope that it can inspire us with the hope that God is faithful, that his faithful work in us and through us, that that Jesus changes people's lives. So hopefully this is all going to work. We'll see. If not, I'm not going to sing it for you, just in case that was in doubt. All right, let me see if I can get this going. I can't tell you how many times I've watched that video because I had to record it numerous times and I don't know, figure out how to get it on there. But even after seeing it that often, it, it, it continues to just move me. You know, I know there's, that's a very specific story. You know, that, that Ground 40 is focused on uh, drug abuse, addiction, and those types of things. And that's not something I've struggled with, but I've had a lot of struggles. I'm just, I'm grateful that Jesus walked out of that grave because it gives me hope of his power in my life. Because there's times, and I, I think you can probably, I would imagine that you can track with me that there are times where I don't constantly or always feel that nearness of God. Go through times where he seems distant. But these testimonies remind me of his faithfulness, that God is on the move, that he is working, that he is breaking the power of sin in people's lives. And I want to encourage us to be a people that rest in that, that we would be a people that don't just celebrate Easter reading the resurrection story off a page but that it would be part and parcel of our hearts, of our lives as we go from this place. That we would have joy today as we celebrate what Jesus did, but that we would have joy tomorrow and the next day. That every day we would 
lean a little bit more into what it means for us to be a people who walk free, that experience the liberation that Jesus Christ brings in our lives. And so as reflection, I've got, I'm just leaving one question this week. Because as we celebrate Easter, I want you to reflect on what is it that is preventing you from walking free in the grace and power of Jesus? What is it? What is that hurdle that seems to be preventing you from, from experiencing his freedom? Right? As you reflect on that question, take it to God in prayer. Ask him to remove every barrier, every sin that so easily entangles, kind of mixing scriptural passages, but this is what the Bible teaches us to do, to go to God in prayer with these things. That we would once again ask him to be immersed in the spirit of freedom, that all stumbling blocks would be removed. Because we have been, whether we feel it or not, we have been given freedom because Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Let me pray. Lord, help us to experience the freedom that you bring. Lord, that it wouldn't just be a a one-time emotional connection that we have when we turn our lives over to you, but that we would engage in that daily discipline of dying to self and being raised to new life in your spirit. Lord, whether whether we feel like we struggle with major sins or minor sins, those aren't categories that you seem to have. Lord, let us throw off all of these things. Whether we're struggling with drug addiction or whether we're struggling with just a Uh, a a short fuse, an anger. Lord, whatever it is that we are dealing with that is preventing us from walking in the way that you would have us walk, Lord, may we know the truth and live the truth that you have died so that we might die to sin's power and be raised to new life. May that be our experience as we walk out of this place. May you immerse us, fill us once again with your Holy Spirit that we would be motivated, that we would experience your freedom. For those who the Son sets free is free indeed. And may we recognize the evidence for this is your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For he is risen. Risen indeed. Join us in worship, please.